0: The story is told. Many, many years ago, there was a shepherd boy in a small village. It was his job to watch the sheep day in, day out. So he would go out to the sheep and let them graze in the pasture. And uh, if there was one word that could describe this ancient tradition of watching sheep, especially in this one village, that word would be boring. Boring. Worst job ever. So, this young shepherd thought, I know, I'll add a little excitement to this sheep-watching scenario. We'll, We'll get everybody riled up a little bit. We'll cause some excitement to come to this sleepy pastoral village. And so he shouted at the top of his lungs, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. What happens? They ring a bell in the village. All the men in the village grab their pitchforks and daisy red rider BB guns and they and they run (laughs) off the hill right weapons in hand ready to deal with the wolf they come to the pasture they find the shepherd boy there and they find no wolf they pull the young man aside listen this is not a joke okay we were all really busy having our siesta or whatever it was so you can't be just shouting wolf when there's not really a wolf, okay? Don't waste everybody's time. Just do your job, okay? Lesson learned. All right. They took his phone for two days. He didn't have his phone for two days. And then that was it. That was the consequence. And they went back down the hill. You know, a couple weeks later, same song. Same boy up there watching the sheep. He's sitting there. And again, his job is boring. And so he thought, man, that one day when I yelled wolf, I know I lost my phone for two days, but it was so worth it because there was so much excitement. And so he just, the temptation arose and he just and he thought, I'm going to do it anyway. And so he cries out, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. They ring the bell in the village. All the men grab their weapons and they come charging up the hill to protect their investment, to protect their livelihood, to protect the village. And once again, they get there. What do they find? No wolf. This time they took his PS5 (laughs) for a whole week. Okay? Listen, stop crying wolf when there's no wolf. Another week goes by. Same shepherd boy, same village, watching the sheep. There he is. And just like usual, bull wait a minute. What's that over there? He thought he saw something on the corner of his eye. Here's a rustle. He looks more closely. There's a gray, is that four le- Uh-oh. Wait, that is a wolf. There's an actual wolf. Before he can cry wolf, he's devoured. Sunset comes, the day closes. The people in the village gather, you know, and they're eating. their and Where's so-and-so? He's supposed to be watching the sheep. He should be back by now. Where is he? Where is he? Nowhere to be found. The fact is, he cried wolf. They heard his call, and no one came. They said, it's a joke. It's not real. The moral of the story is even if a liar tells the truth, no one will believe them. Now, that's an ancient parable that's been told, an ancient fable that's been told for thousands of years. The moral of the story may be better said is deception has consequences. I'd love to tell you that deception manipulation lying is not a problem today, but it is a problem today. We have a problem basically with being truthful. And when our words don't match our actions, just like that shepherd boy, we will face consequences. I just want to ask you this morning as we get into Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 to 37, How and when are you tempted to deceive? Now, it's not as dramatic as the fable. But oftentimes, we are tempted to tell a lie. Or to maybe omit some details of the truth. To deceive a little bit for a good cause. To manipulate, to get something that we want. Or something that we feel that we are owed You see, deception can be deceiving. And you might just ask, where am I tempted to deceive, to be less than truthful? In these verses in Matthew chapter 5, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us on the relationship between our words and actions. If there's a word that summarizes this topic, the word really is integrity, integrity, Jesus talks a lot here about oaths and vows, and we're going to get into the details, but as we do so, we have to remember that deception is not simply a matter of how we talk, but it's a matter of how we talk and how that relates to reality and how we live. And when there's a disconnect there, we have a problem. So let's get into these verses. We'll talk about the first century scenario and then see how it applies to us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been revisiting issues that are brought up in God's law in the Old Testament and then clarifying, intensifying, and explaining them to his audience to help them understand what's really going on. Remember, the problem wasn't murder, the problem was anger. The problem wasn't adultery, the problem was lust. And so uh, he dealt with divorce and and marriage in the last section. And here he comes to now this other issue of taking oaths, which really gets to the heart of, of truthfulness and integrity. So in verse 33, Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath.'" But you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Jesus is alluding there to Leviticus 19, uh, some Numbers 5, probably also Numbers chapter 30. There are a few sections in the law where it talks about not breaking an oath, but keeping oaths that are made to the Lord. And as he talks about this, we just have to remember the difference between oaths and vows and what was really going on, just to help clarify the sense, okay? So an oath is when you make a statement— and then you validate that statement by appealing to a higher source of authority, okay? And the most common would be, I'm going to do such and such, or that such and such is true, I swear on the name of God, or something like that, right? So you're basically appealing to the higher authority, and essentially saying, you know, may God strike me dead if this isn't true, right? So that, that oath, that statement, is validated by an appeal to a higher authority, as we'll see, that that practice was far too frequently used, and it was abused, okay? So we'll talk about how that was abused. This uh, quotation from the law, though, also intersects a little bit with taking vows to the Lord. Vows are a little different in that a vow is a promise that's made between a person and God, and, uh, and that vow is made, and you say, okay, Lord, I, I promise I'm going to do such and such and so forth, and there's a, a strict requirement in the law that if you make a vow to the Lord, you had to fulfill the vow. The problem was, and it's not hard to imagine, but people would make promises to the Lord that they really could not or had no intention of actually keeping. And this it comes in moments of desperation. <clears throat> Lord, if you get me out of this jam, I promise I'll never fall asleep and want to pastor the sermons again, right? <laughs> or something like that. And, you know, it's just kind of made like off the cuff, and it's not, it, it's, it's, in its worst forms, it's negotiating with God. Lord, if you give me this job, I promise that I'll take my kids to church, right? It's like this kind of negotiation tactic, which is very Canaanite. It's very pagan thinking that you could manipulate God to do what you want by making a deal with him, right? But, you know, it, often it's, it's not really genuine, right? So it's just kind of this, this, there's an inconsistency to it. On the oath-taking, though, it's really easy to see how this got out of hand how people <clears throat> would basically cry wolf, how they would say things that weren't true or they would behave in ways that weren't actually truthful. And then they would say, but I swear on the name of God. Well, that got to be a problem. You can't swear on the name of God. Uh, you know, the, the Ten Commandments prohibit, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. And so that that's a problem. So they adjusted it a little bit and they had other things they would swear by. And we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. The problem was... <clears throat> The, the call to believe this statement or to believe that what I, I say I'm going to do, right, that that idea, it, it wasn't actually based on their real reputation. So you can't believe that I'm going to actually do what I said I'm going to do, or you can't believe that what I say is actually true, so I'm going to appeal to a higher authority to trump, basically, my lack of consistency in living. There's a problem here with integrity. What people were saying <clears throat> wasn't matching how they lived, <clears throat> Sometimes that was malicious, where they were actually actively trying to deceive someone else to get what they want, lying to get the promotion, lying to make themselves look good at, at, with their friends at school or whatever it would be. But oftentimes it wasn't necessarily malicious, it was just, <clears throat> in a word, sloppy. It was just, you know what, I haven't really been faithful, but I really want you to believe me or I want you to, to agree to what I'm saying. Now we struggle with the same kind of inconsistency, why? Why? Because deception as a thing, deception is fueled by idolatry. So idolatry fuels deception. Idolatry fuels deception. We deceive because we want something, right? And that want is an idol. It's a false god. We want that person to like me, so I'll shade the truth and and say that I'm taller than I really am, right? (laughs) Right? We, we want to get the job, so we lie about our past performance on our resume and, and inflate those achievements or lack of achievements, right? Uh, we, we, want, uh, we want to uh, be loved. We, want, we don't want to let someone down, and so we lie about whether or not we did something. Again, sometimes it's malicious, but often it's just sloppy. If it's intentional, though, right, if it's intentional, we might actually intentionally um, make insincere oaths or vows. You might actually say, I swear, I swear. And we might not swear in the name of God, we might swear on my grandmother's grave or something like that, but we swear with no real intention of actually following through with what we've said we're going to do. Again, or we lie or give a false impression, or even we can negotiate with God sometimes. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Those are intentional examples, but maybe it's unintentional. Again, maybe we're just being careless with our speech. Maybe we're being lazy, we have no intention of actually following through. Uh, maybe we're being selfish, and we just want what we want, and so we're not going to bother with the whole truthfulness thing and, and living with integrity. One time when I was a young man um, at our church in California, the church the, the pastor had asked me to do something, I don't remember what it was, and we came on Sunday morning, and I hadn't done, I think it was sending an email or something, and I hadn't done what he had asked me to do. And so I caught, we ran into him in the entryway of the church, and the, the topic came up, and I felt the pressure of not wanting to let him down. I felt the pressure of not wanting to admit that I had not followed through with what I said I was going to do. So I I lied in a church. And I'm shocked that I'm still standing right to this day. I I lied to him. He asked me if I had done it. I said, Oh, yeah, I did it on whatever night. And I hadn't done it. And by God's grace, the Spirit convicted me of that sin. And I was able to circle back with him and confess that I had deceived him because I didn't want to look bad and and all that. But I mean, the pressure's there. Often, I think on a daily basis, to, to not tell the truth. Why? Because idolatry fuels deceit. Because we want what we want. So you might ask yourself what's motivating my speech? Oaths, vows, or general deception, right? They all fall under this umbrella category that Jesus is talking about. What's motivating my speech? Why am I say, speaking the way I am? Why am I posting that to social media? What am I trying to accomplish here? What image of myself am I trying to put forward? Why am I texting this person in this way? Why am I writing this email, right? What am I trying to accomplish? Jesus, his concern here is the lack of association between so-called spiritual people and really what he's talking about is his kingdom citizens, right? Disciples of Jesus. The lack of association with spiritual people and truthfulness and integrity. And it's reflected so often in how we speak and how that relates to how we live. So ask yourself the question before you speak, is it truthful? And then ask yourself, why am I speaking? What, what, what am I trying to accomplish? This will actually change the way you talk pretty drastically, if you take it seriously. It changes the way we talk. It will certainly change the way we post on social media. Now, I'm not saying you need to wake up in the morning and take a picture of yourself before you've gotten ready and post that to social media and say, this is the real me. Okay? That is the real you. Nobody wants to see that. Okay? <laughs> so just leave it there. But you know the temptation, the temptation with social media is to just always put forward this veneer of togetherness. And we know you're not that together. That doesn't mean you have to be posting all this stuff online. Just, just ask the question, why am I posting that? Am I distorting the truth to make people think that I'm doing better than I really am? Right? I think it's also, it, it also rubs shoulders a little bit with our interaction with, uh, with news information and conspiracy theories, right? Now, here's the deal with conspiracy theories. Uh, conspiracies are real truth sometimes is hidden and because of sin people have reasons to hide their motives okay so they are a thing right however one youtube video does not the truth make okay so christians i think i have been a little too gullible with regards to conspiracy theories you need to ask yourself is the source of this information trustworthy do they act? Can I validate that this claim to whatever is true? And if I if I'm not sure about that, is this something that I should be then spreading and disseminating to other people and saying this is true? You need to you need to look at this right now. Again, I'm not saying that that truth isn't hidden. It is very much often it is hidden, but you just need to ask the question: Am I being gullible just because this uh, conspiracy theory helps my? Political agenda or it helps uh, it, it advances a passion that i have right so i'm willing to overlook the lack of verifiable facts that are involved and i'm just going to parrot it and spread it around right just to to make a point again the problem may be <clears throat> that we're not taking seriously enough how idolatry will fuel us to deceive and that's exactly what it does Jesus' disciples have a higher calling. And watch verse 34 through 36 as he talks about how it actually was playing out, again, in their context. He says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Now, just pause right there, okay? Jesus says, okay, stop with the oathing, all right? Stop with the I swear by the name of God. Stop with the uh, making promises to God. I think vows are included here, all this stuff. He's like, you think God doesn't see through it? And the hypocrisy and the inconsistency is too much. Now, you need to know, in the first century, there was a uh, a chunk of rabbinic teaching, like a big chunk, okay? And it, it's still, it's in written form, we still have it today, that explained which oaths you could take which oaths you couldn't take and which formulas you, you were acceptable to use in an oath and which formulas you couldn't use, which ones were for Tuesdays and Thursdays, which ones were, for, I mean, it was, it's really detailed, okay? And so the point was that they were, they were uh, very much in the habit of using these oaths to try to make what they were saying seem true when Jesus has a much better way. So watch what he says. He says, enough, enough with the oathing. Stop with the swearing, stop with the vows. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, verse 34. Either by heaven, because it is God's throne. Oh, you know what? You can't make an oath in the name of God because that would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. I know, take an oath by heaven, which is... God's throne, Isaiah 66, that's where God lives. So you're still swearing by God, but you're not actually taking his name in vain. You're not carrying the name of the Lord in vain because you didn't swear in the name of God, you swore by God's address, right? So that makes, that was, that was the thinking, the, that, those were the theological gymnastics that were involved in the oath making. So don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne or by the earth because it is his footstool. Uh, Earth is God's footstool, we could swear by the earth, and that kind of gets to God eventually, so I could swear by that. Nope. Or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Most translations, they're capital K, king. It's the city of the Messiah. Okay, so I could swear by Jerusalem, because it's like the most important city, and then that's, you know, it's God's city, so it gets to God that way. So he says, listen, you think God doesn't see through all this? All these shenanigans? Just stop with the swearing, he goes on, verse thirty-six: Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Now listen, maybe you know white or black, uh, you can't control the rate at which your hair will turn gray. Can I get an amen? Where's the folks on that? Yeah, you don't control it. You can fight it. You can fight it. Dyes exist, right? and maybe you should fight it i don't know but the point is you can't control it you can't control it and when you swear by your head you're claiming to have some kind of level of authority that's on par with god or high, you're the higher authority what's going on jesus says this is ridiculous the whole thing is ridiculous don't rely on oaths or vows Jesus negatively says it, don't, just stop doing it, okay? Stop relying on oaths or vows. Of course, there is a a passage in the law that makes the same point. Deuteronomy 23 verse 22 talks about don't make an oath if you're not going to be able to fulfill it, if you're not going to be able to actually live it out. So Jesus is just echoing here the actual attitude of the law towards this. The fact is, though, the entire practice is theologically, one commentator said, theologically superficial. I thought he was right on. It's theologically superficial. You're not taking God seriously if you're like, well, I'm not going to swear in his name, but I'm going to swear by heaven or Jerusalem or the earth, whatever, right? It's theologically superficial. You've downgraded the sovereignty of God. You've overestimated your ability to be sovereign in your own life and control circumstances, and here's a thought. Instead of swearing by the one who's enthroned in heaven, why not just live for him? I mean, that's the inconsistency that Jesus is calling out here. Instead of going through all these gymnastics as to which vow, which oath is allowable and which isn't, what if you just, I don't know, honored God with your speech and your actions? There's a whole different way of living here that's not trying to justify your statements through codes and through oaths, but rather you justify your statements through living a life of integrity. Don't rely on oaths or vows. You just might ask the question, which areas in my life, it's by way of application, which areas in my life would I have to add an oath to to get people to believe, Right? Which areas of my life am I living inconsistently, right? Which areas of my life am I, am I struggling to actually follow through? And do I have to convince somebody? No, 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 believe me this time, there's a wolf, right? There's a wolf. And those are areas where you may be struggling with integrity, just living truthfully, and here, again, Jesus, he addresses the oaths and vows, but the, again, the topic is bigger than just oaths and vows. It's about consistency with how we speak and how we live. And if we're going to actually follow Jesus, if we're actually going to be his disciples, we need to ask the question, am I living with integrity? Am, am I living in, in, a, in a manner that's consistent with truthfulness, so again, you, you have to, it's going to be different for everybody, but you just have to say, where am I kind of exposed here? And where am I prone to maybe deceive or seek to manipulate, right? Or tell a lie because the truth just won't cut it. Of course, at the end of the day, being theologically superficial, the root issue is that they weren't trusting God and simply living truthfully. And as we're going to see, if idolatry fuels deception then the antidote for deception, being truthful, that's fueled by what? By worship. Worship of the true God, right? Not superficial theology, but actual weighty theology, a, a genuine valuing of who God is and what he's called us to. That's going to solve the problem of inconsistent living, right? If you're tempted to deceive or manipulate, truth shade, whatever, right? The the opposite of that is going to be pursuing the glory of God in the way you speak and how you live. And all of a sudden, The rest will sort itself out. So again, ask the question, am I relying on oaths or vows? Obviously, you're not probably relying on oaths or vows. But the problem is, uh, am I exposed here by having to argue for my trustworthiness because I'm not living consistently? When Jesus uses these specific examples, he's pointing out the absurdity of the entire religious teaching in the first century about how to approach oaths and vows. He's like, you missed it. You totally miss the point here, right? Don't rely on oaths or vows. Well, how do we do this? How do we actually live this out? Watch verse 37 where Jesus actually turns the corner here and he adds to the prohibition this positive explanation. So what should we do if we're not going to swear, right? If we're not going to use oaths and vows, how do we do this? Jesus says, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Now, before we get to the rest here, the first word of verse 37 is but. It's a contrast. So in contrast to knowing which exact oath is allowable in what circumstances, Jesus says, listen, forget all that. Don't don't burden yourself with the legal technicalities of which oaths are allowable. Jesus says, how about this? In contrast to that, let your yes mean yes. When you say yes to something, do it. When you sign up for something, show up. And let your no, he says, and your no mean no. So if you can't make it, just tell the people you can't make it. And when it's not true, say no and mean no. Now, it's, listen, I know that's radical thinking, right? Right? It's so crazy. You let your yes mean yes, your no mean no. But the problem, again, is that idolatry fuels deception. And there may be a moment when somebody asks you a question, just like in, that, in that, that entryway to the church, when that pastor asked me, did you do so-and-so? And I thought, and it was a split-second moment in my heart, right? But I thought, if I say no, I'm going to look bad. He's going to think less of me on down the line. And so I said yes but what I should have said was no. If I had said no, what was I doing? I was risking. I was risking. What's he going to think of me? He's going to kick me out of the church? Probably, right? Like, you know, your, your, your imagination starts to run wild, but really that battle, it's a battle of faith. It's a battle to recognize that God actually is enthroned in heaven. The earth actually is his footstool, and he controls the rate at which my hair turns gray. And therefore, I can say no when the answer is no, even if I failed, because I am entrusting myself to the sovereign God of the universe, right? And it's, and it's going to be okay, not because I can make it okay, but because God is good and he is sovereign. And so I can say no and mean no, even if it, even if it feels so risky for me to do that. The same holds true, obviously, if I need to say yes to a question, so often this comes up, especially in areas where we're, we're seeking accountability for struggles with sin. Maybe you have someone who's close to you spiritually, and they ask you the question, have you struggled with fill in the blank, right, recently? And then as that question is asked, if, maybe the answer is yes, but you don't want to say yes. Because of the fallout, because of the conversation, because of what it makes you, it makes you look bad, you have to, now you have to follow up with the person. Now there's got to, I just don't want to admit it. But Jesus says, just let your yes mean yes. And risk telling the truth and trust in me. So he says, listen, you don't need the oaths. You don't need the vows. How about this? When you say yes, mean yes. When you say no, mean no. And let your life back up this truthful standard of speech, right? But notice what he adds at the end of verse 37, what's really at risk here. He says, Anything more than this is from the evil one. Now listen, sometimes people get worked up about Satan's influence in our lives. And, you know, in, in, in certain hyper charismatic circles, they get freaked out about, you know, Satan's in this room and he's hiding in these air conditioners or whatever. And it's like, you know, like overly concerned about that. And I think they've seen too many movies. Okay, so Satan is not going to possess you and cause you to levitate above your bed. Okay, that's not the thing. But you know where Satan will attack you? And I think the CSB is right here, the, the translation the evil one. You know where Satan is going to get you? He's just going to nudge you to deceit. He's just going to nudge you to deceit. He's just going to say, you know, it's just so much easier not to tell the truth here. Just, just tell him, just, it's not, just, you know, and you don't have to, I know you said you would do whatever, but honestly, I mean, it was a rough night last night and you need your beauty sleep, so you don't have to show up for that. And, you know, and I know they asked you if you were coming, but you don't have to answer them because their time isn't valuable or important. Your time is valuable and important, right? You don't have to respond. Jesus says anything else, anything other than truthful speaking and living in ways that back up what we say, he says anything else is, well, it's from the the evil one. It's satanic thinking, And while you might be quick to point out satanic thinking out there, Jesus says, hold on, there's satanic thinking right in here. When our speech doesn't match the way we live and when we depend on oaths and vows to get it done. What's the big idea here? The big idea is that kingdom citizens live with integrity. Kingdom citizens live with integrity. This is not revolutionary, but it is difficult And it requires us to trust the Lord. It's so important, in fact, that in uh, the book of James, James chapter 5, James, the brother of Jesus, repeats this teaching almost verbatim because it's such an essential issue. So he, he comes back around and says, we need to remember this as Christians, that our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no. So how do you live with integrity? Tell the truth. Yes, all the time, right? Follow through when you make commitments. Don't ghost people when they're trying to communicate with you, right? Don't leave them hanging. Respond in a timely manner. Uh, Establish a reputation. Isn't that really what we're after here? That when you say yes, you mean yes. And if someone says, hey, will you show up to so-and-so? And then you say, yes, I will. Establish a reputation of truthfulness by guess what? Showing up, right? Following through, getting it done. And if you can't go, even though you say, well, I want to say yes to this person because I want them to think more highly of me, but I can't do it, here's an idea. Just say no. And let's just all agree right here for the moment, like let's agree that when someone says no to something, they're not necessarily trying to insult you. We just all have a lot going on, okay? So listen, we're big kids. Say no if you can't make it, right? But be timely in that response. Don't leave people hanging, Sometimes we don't respond because we want the option to not come if something better comes along. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Have you been there? Something better always comes along. That's always going to happen. But in some senses, I think that's maybe a a new, like maybe a, a more modern expression of just kind of flightiness where we're not willing to just actually say yes or no and follow through with it. We just want to have the option open. And if I commit to serve in Kingdom Kids once every four weeks, my life will probably end. And so I can't make that kind of commitment, you know? Listen, your phone has a calendar. Use it. You know, make plans, follow through. And again, say no when you need to say no. Again, all of this means we're trusting God for the outcome, especially when it comes to being truthful when it's an area where you may have failed. So again, you you got to think, who do I trust? Do I trust God or do I trust myself? Uh, at this point in this message, someone always internally says objection. Egyptian midwives in Exodus, they could lie. Rahab and Joshua, she lied to protect the spies. Isn't it okay to lie, Pastor Ryan? Like, that's kind of the way we think about it. And I would say, uh, no, it is not. Here's what's going on in Exodus chapter 2 and also in Joshua. Okay, uh, When you are in extreme life or death situations, most usually associated with war or genocide, okay, if you're in those situations, and it literally, literally will save a life to withhold truth from an oppressor, uh, then at that point, you have a green light, okay, to do that, okay? Statistically, pretty rare, those situations, okay it's a wartime ethic and that's actually biblical in in war deception is allowable uh you know the israelites they actually participated in a an ambush against the city of ai that's deception okay i mean deception in war is a thing okay and so if, if you're talking about wartime ethic and saving lives that's a different conversation should you tell the truth to your boss when you've not done what you're supposed to have done or you've messed something up the answer is yes May, is it possible you will get fired for telling the truth to your boss? Yes, it is possible. But God is enthroned in heaven and the earth is his footstool. And you, you trust him more than you've got to trust your boss, right? You need to have a hard conversation with your spouse or someone in your family. And you need to have a truthful conversation about how you were hurt or how you hurt them. You need to own up to something or you need to talk seriously about it. You need to have that conversation, And you don't justify it by saying, well, if I don't talk about it, it will be easier. It may be easier in the short run, but you're just deferring conflict and heartache. Be truthful. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Why? Because I trust the Lord. What about the Pledge of Allegiance or military oaths or contracts or anything like that? Doesn't Jesus say no oaths at all? Some people have overinterpreted what Jesus has said here to limit any kind of agreement. Uh, period. Obviously, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you can't make an agreement or you can't state your allegiance to a nation or military or whatever. His point is, when you make agreements, follow through with those agreements. And you shouldn't be living in such a way that you have to take an oath every time you make a statement for people to believe what you're saying, right? That's what he's getting at. So don't take this as some kind of uh, prohibition against signing a contract or anything. But if you sign a contract and you say you're going to make the payments, make the payments right? Show up. Do what you've agreed to do. Why? Because truthfulness reflects the character of God, and because we're citizens of his kingdom, kingdom citizens live with integrity. Again, the whole thing had gotten so out of whack there in the first century. Jesus is like, we got to just cut down to the chase here. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Jesus is not prohibiting us from making commitments. On the contrary, when we make commitments, he's calling us here To integrity and to follow through. In fact, doesn't Jesus model this very principle? You know, when Jesus interacts with the woman at the well and he asks her where her husband is, and she doesn't want to talk about it, she says, I have no husband. He's like, Yeah, no kidding. And he tells her the truth. He confronts her for her sin. In fact, there there are moments in Jesus' life when it would have been so much easier to just not. To just not deal with it. And yet he models over and over again in his ministry consistent sacrificial faith-driven living where by saying yes when he means yes and no when he means no, it cost him time and energy and all of that and yet he spent it. And the fact is, he let his yes mean yes and his no mean no all the way to the cross. When he could have easily turned the tables, blamed someone else, manipulated, deceived his way out of that situation, Jesus lived with integrity even when it cost him his very life. Now, if that were the end of the story, it'd be a sober example. But Jesus conquers death and resurrection. And brothers and sisters, do you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your manipulation. He died for your failure to follow through with commitments. He, he died for your failure to make a commitment and actually answer the question. He died for your lies and for your deception and for mine as well. And he died living with integrity to provide the payment for our failure and to lead us into kingdom living, a new way of living. So if you're here this morning, and I know this has hit all of us, this passage has to touch all of us, right? Areas where we haven't been truthful, where we're struggling with living with integrity. If you're here this morning and you're feeling it, you've got to know this, that yes, it's wrong and we call it sin, but we don't do so in despair or self-condemnation. We do so in the confidence of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when you keep reading in Matthew, Jesus dies for our sins, he rose from the dead, and he summons us to this new way of living. And so we can say, yes, I have failed, but Jesus died in my place and he conquered sin and death with his resurrection and I've trusted in him. So you are declared clean from that lie. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, true in every aspect, absolutely with complete integrity. That's the gift of the gospel to us in faith. So there's no reason why we can't confess our failures to the Lord and call them what they are. There's so much here to talk about turning a corner, but I think at the end of the day, we just have to ask the question, what does it look like for me as a kingdom citizen to live with integrity? You know your weak spots, which means you know where you need to pray and ask God for forgiveness and ask God for help in turning that corner. This is a great conversation to have as a care group or with a discipleship partner, just to say, how can I grow in this area of living with integrity? Because this is where I'm tempted to lie. This is where I'm tempted to manipulate or deceive or omit the truth. At the end of the day, by faith in Jesus, we are citizens of his kingdom. You know, I love 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, and the prophet Samuel is like one of the best, right? It's one of my favorites. There's this moment at the end of Samuel's public ministry in life, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, where uh, he addresses the nation of Israel, and like any true prophet, he's a little miffed with them, okay? Okay. Because they were like, they want a king. They didn't want to just trust the Lord, all that. So it, it had his prophetic uh, nose out of joint, right? So he was quite frustrated with them. So he, he gets up in front of the whole assembly, and it's so classic. It's classic Samuel. You just got to love it. He gets up, and he, basically he's like, listen, I have led you people faithfully. I have lived and taught and led with integrity here, okay? This is how he says it, though. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Uh, who have I wronged or mistreated? Who gave me a bribe to overlook something? Anyone? Right? He says, listen, you look at my track record. I led you with integrity. And I just want to say that out loud before I die, before Saul becomes king and the whole thing. I just want to say it out loud so that you know that I led you with integrity. Right? His, His statement, what he said, was based on his track record of living and leading among them. And I love that moment because, and others have identified the consistency here with what Jesus is teaching, because it just reminds us that this is what God has always called us to. And the fact is, you need to be like Samuel, where when you get to the end of your life, if you could gather everybody together, right, who knew you, and you'll say, listen, who did I lie to here? Whose donkey did I steal, right? Who, who did I gossip about? Who, who did I deceive, right? No one. As a kingdom citizen, I lived with integrity, right? Now, we know because of our sin, we could never say no one. But the fact is, like the prophet Samuel, we can establish a track record and a pattern and a reputation for living with integrity. It's risky. But again, we do so not based on our ability to control circumstances. We live with integrity because we know the one who's enthroned in heaven. And earth is his footstool. So let's live as kingdom citizens with integrity. Would you pray with me? We'll ask God to help us respond with faith to his word. Lord, we thank you for these uh, precious verses in Matthew chapter 5. We thank you for the reminder of the problem with a lack of truthfulness and really a lack of integrity. It was manifested, Lord, so long ago with this complicated oath-taking uh, structure and, and insincere vows. And Lord, as, as much as we don't necessarily do that in our culture, we still struggle with lying, deception, manipulation, Lord. And we do so because of idolatry, because we want what we want. But Lord, we ask that you would help us, help us to trust you by faith. And by faith in you, Lord, help us when we say yes to mean yes, and when we say no to mean no. Lord, help us to establish a reputation of living with integrity where others, both inside and outside of the church, would know that we are dependable. Lord, help us to establish that reputation in our workplaces, in our schools, Lord, even in our own neighborhoods, that people would know they can rely on us. Why? Because we belong to you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your integrity. We praise you for going to the cross for us even when you could have deceived and lied to get out of it. And Lord, we thank you for dying for our failures so that we can be forgiven, for rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. And Lord, enabling us by the gift of your spirit to live transformed new lives. Lord, help us to remember that we don't have to deceive, that we can speak the truth. We don't have to rely on other authorities to validate our our statements, but Lord... We can simply let our yes mean yes and our no mean no. So help us do that now, even as we leave, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.